Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. What about awaken? What does this mean? This is what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. The Apostle Paul was the author of this letter to the Ephesians. And and you can look at what he is saying here. And you can find scriptures in the Old Testament. In Isaiah. And in Jeremiah. That that we, we believe he is drawing from and pulling from as he quotes this. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Also, scholars have, have, have believed that this was a hymn that the early church would join together and sing. And so Paul is reminding them of this phrase, to awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And what we can learn from studying history is that this was something that the early church was constantly singing and asking for that God would move on people and that they would awake from their sleep you see what the Bible is doing and what Paul is doing is he is equating sleep and death to being spiritually unaware he's saying that people who are spiritually disconnected from God and spiritually unaware of the full benefits and the full power and the full life that he's calling us to live. It's like they're dead asleep. So why should this matter to you and I? Why should this matter? Why are we spending an entire month, four weeks, talking about this word, this idea, awaken? Because in a spiritual context, in a, in a Christian context, an awakening takes place when God pours out his spirit and when people become aware of the incredible life that he has for him for them don't you know that's why we exist as a church that's why we're here friends what are you with me that's why we're here for people to discover the life that God has for them that's why we exist as a church because we want to reach for people that are far from God and we want to lead them on a journey At the end of this journey, we want them to be living the life that they were created for, the life that God has for them, the best life they could ever live, the best life any of us could ever live. It's not the life that we dream up on our own. It's not the life that we can plan out on our own because it's going to be a shallow life. It's going to be a life that lacks fulfillment. But the best life we could ever live is the life that God has for us. The life that God has established for us and he's waiting for us to become aware of it and to walk into it. We want to lead people on a journey to know God, not know about God. See, a lot of Americans today know about God because a lot of our country's values are based on Christian values. So a lot of people know about God. A lot of people know about the Bible stories, but not very many people know God in a real way. And in a personal way, where they're walking with him every day, when they're in tune with his voice, that when he speaks to them, they're ready to listen and obey. Not a lot of people know God that way. So why we exist is to help people know God. But it doesn't stop there. We also exist to help people find freedom. Freedom from what? From sin. From baggage. From shame. From regret. 
from the lifestyles and habits that are slowly killing them. Find freedom from those things. We exist to help people discover the life that God has for them. What is the purpose of all this? So that together we can all, as the body of Christ, make a difference in the world. Make a difference in the lives of people around us. It's not so we can have good church. It's not so we can have fun together on Sunday mornings and hear good music and and, and have good social club atmosphere. No, the purpose of this, the purpose why we meet together on Sunday mornings, the purpose of everything that we do at Life Church is to lead people on a journey of coming into a full awareness of the life that God has for them so that we can go out and do God's work. And in the world today, in the culture that's all around us, the world we're living in is full of distractions. It's trying to distract you, whether it's social media or some kind of entertainment or some kind of news outlet or some kind of political conflict or some kind of social agenda. There's so many distractions in our world today. And there's so many temptations in our world today. Access to so many different things where we can just follow every temptation that we have. And and behind all of those things, what, what might seem appealing and what's alluring on the surface is actually a pitfall for your soul. It's actually a pitfall where you're gonna get tangled up in a life that you never intended to live. It's full of lies all around us, pulling us away. The world is pulling us away from the life that God has for us. The job of the enemy, our our great enemy, the enemy of our soul, Satan, his job is to keep you from being awake. He would love it for you to stay dead asleep. He's okay even with you coming to church on Sundays as long as he can have your Monday through Saturday. That's his job, to keep you asleep. I remember a time in my life where I got to a point where I was so broken and lonely and hurting and full of addictions and going through unhealthy relationships and I was full of so many problems and I was trying to fill the void. I had a void. I had a void deep within me. And you know what I was trying to fill it with was those unhealthy relationships. I was trying to to fill that void by following my sexual desires. I I would try to numb the pain that I was experiencing with all kinds of substances, with alcohol, with drugs, with, with numbing out social media and entertainment. I would do anything I could to numb myself. And I thought that I could earn happiness in life. I thought that this void could be filled with some kind of happiness and satisfaction that came from working hard and getting a lot of money so I could buy a lot of things. But still, I felt empty and lost and broken. I had a lot of problems, but you see, I kept looking in the wrong places for my solutions. I kept looking in the wrong places and turning to the wrong things, thinking that is what is going to fulfill me. That's what's going to heal me. That's what's going to fill the emptiness inside of me. But you see, the Bible tells us, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the apostle John says, for everything in the world, this is what the world offers, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
the pride of life comes not from the Father, that's what the world offers. Those, the desires that you have of your flesh, the desires that you have of your eyes where you want more and more and more, the pride of life that drives people to say, I can do what I want, I know what is best, I'll make my own decisions, that's not from the Father, that's from the world. And if you continue to look to the world to fix the problems that you're feeling on the inside, it's going to lead you to a spiral and a cycle of more pain and more shame and more regret and more problems. And all the while, while we're stuck in this cycle, all the while, while we're stuck in this spiral, all the while where we're trying to cling to things that are just shoving us deeper down into the pit of despair, there is a God in heaven calling out, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Because I have a better life for you. Wake up because I have the answers that you're really looking for. Wake up to this life Wake up and discover this life that I have for you. It's the best life you could ever live. The life that God has for us is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And it's a life of fulfillment That is the highest need that you have as a human being is to feel like at the end of the day that my life matters. You can search the world to try to feed that feeling. You can search the world and join all kinds of initiatives and groups and and activist uh, agendas that are happening in the world. And at the end of the day, while you might have a momentary feeling of goodness and happiness, what you're missing is fulfillment because fulfillment in your life is connected to the life that God has for you, the life you were designed to live. And as long as you are out of that life, as long as you are out of the will of God, that fulfillment that we all need is going to be far from us. So for the next four weeks, we're going to go on this journey. I'm asking you to commit every Sunday of the month of August, be here with us to go on this journey. Be here with us to go on this journey to awaken from spiritual sleep, Awaken from spiritual sleep because our communities and our cities and our nation, they need churches that are full of people that are fully awake, full of people who can see what the lies are from the culture and lead people to truth. Full of people that can look past the division and the anger and the hate in the world and reach people with love. That won't happen if you are asleep. If you are asleep, if you, are, if you are dead asleep, you're going to get wrapped up in the things that the world is wrapped up in. You're going to get wrapped up in the political turmoil. You're going to get wrapped up in the social hate and, and all the strife that is happening in the world today. You're going to fall into the lies and the deceit and those pitfalls that tell you you can make decisions for yourself. You don't have to follow any kind of, of rules or anything like that as long as what you're doing is following what's inside of you. As long as what you're doing is following your your desires, what it's going to lead people to is despair. So this awakening that we're talking about, this type of spiritual awakening, every time we look in scripture, or you can study 
American history, you can study the, the history of Christianity and you will find time and time again that these kinds of movements happened. The Great Awakening here in the United States before we were a country, when we were the colonies, the Great Awakening that happened. Research that. The Great Wales Revival is what it called, what it's called is a movement that happened in the country of Wales. Research what happened. Read about how entire communities were changed. Read about how people that were far from God and didn't know God suddenly were filled with the Spirit and they came to God that, that crime and drinking and all kinds of problems in, in these communities around Wales and, and these communities around the colonies just stopped. That, that judges would go to court and find that there was not any crimes for them to try. That when there was a criminal... Listen to this. When there was a criminal in a town, the jurors that would come to be on that trial would lay hands on the criminal and pray for them because they knew that the root problem was sin. That kind of awakening that starts happening across a region and across a people where people become fully aware of who God is. That's the kind of awakening that we want. And when you study scripture and when you study history, you see that awakening always begins with one thing. It always begins with this one thing. Are you ready for it? Friends, what are you awake? Are you awake? Are you ready for me to tell you? It starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. Now this word, repent, it's one of those Bible words. It's one of those words that some people, you might have some baggage when it comes to this word, this word. Because maybe somebody got in your face with a sign while you were going to an Astros baseball game and was telling you you're going to hell and you better repent. Maybe you've just had bad interactions with people associated. You have bad memories associated with this word. But can I tell you how sweet that word is? Can I tell you how sweet the word of repentance is. Because you know what repentance is? It's a word of hope. It's a word of opportunity. The word repentance is the opportunity that I don't have to keep living the way I'm living. I have the opportunity now to live God's way. I don't have to keep living this way where I'm making these decisions that are causing me so much pain and so much regret and so much shame. And I don't, I don't have to keep living this life where no matter what I do, I keep making the same mistakes. I keep making the same decisions. I keep going back to the same problems. And it doesn't feel like I'm ever going to be able to break this problem. That sweet word of repentance that comes into your life and offers you hope that you can now live God's way. What does it mean to repent? The literal translation means to do this. To turn around. 180. In the military, it's called an about face. It means I was going this direction, but now I'm going to repent. I'm going to go this direction. A total change of direction for your life. It's a sweet word. It's a word of hope. It's a word of opportunity. What does it mean? What does repent mean? mean? What does repentance mean? As I was preparing for this, this message, I was able to work with an incredible man that's in our church. He's one of our elders in our church. He leads our baptism ministry at the Houston campus. He is Dr. Raymond Wiggins, 
and he has, he has such incredible biblical insight. He's such an incredible man of God, and he's helped me prepare these messages that, that we're going to be bringing to you in the month of August. But he's done his own study, and he's, he's done his own work, and he has come up with a definition of repentance that I think is, is better than any definition that, that I could find for a Christian. It's this. It's on the screen, and I encourage you to take a picture of it or write it down somewhere, because this is what repentance is for you and I It's a complete change of heart at the deepest level that recognizes sin, hates sin, has godly sorrow for sin, and admits guilt and confesses sin. It compels a believer to turn from sin and to God, and it completely surrenders to God in such a deep way that it leads to a fundamental change in behavior. That is what repentance is. And you see, I've had the wrong idea of what repentance is. I didn't have this understanding of repentance. You see, I've had the understanding or the the misconception of repentance that it was just the guilt and the sorrow that I feel when I know I've done something wrong. And so I go to God and I say, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. But then I had no hatred for that sin. You understand you have to hate your sin. You have to view your sin, the sin in your life, you have to view it for what it is, something that wants to keep you from God, something that wants to keep you from living the life that God has for you. It's not something that makes you comfortable. It might try to make you comfortable. It might lie to you and tell you that you're going to find comfort and happiness and fulfillment if you just keep these certain things in your life. But the truth of it is you got to hate your sin because it keeps you from living the life that God is calling you to live. Your sin will keep you dead asleep. That's why the Bible says over and over again that people were dead in their sins. I've had the wrong idea about sin because I've confessed sin in my life before, but then I haven't ever done a thing about it. I never did anything to make sure I didn't fall into that sin again. Yeah, I'll confess it, but then I'll just go back to my life as normal. I've recognized the sin in my life, and I've I've confessed and asked for forgiveness, but then my life looks exactly the same. I can leave the confession and walk right back into the same lifestyle. That's not repentance. You see, I've admitted guilt and not surrendered to Christ. And confessing sin and recognizing sin and admitting sin and having sorrow for sin is not repentance unless it results in a total surrender to God. Unless your repentance results in you determining to abandon that lifestyle and fully surrender to God, your your repentance is not complete. And I, I hate to burst the bubble for anybody that may have grown up in church and maybe you've been going to church for a while and in your mind, repentance is just the first step for new believers and once you move past that step, you're good and you never have to worry about repentance again. False. The devil would love for you to believe that because repentance is a lifestyle for a believer. Repentance is a lifestyle for a believer. And I know why it's hard. 
Houston, I know why it's hard sometimes to fully repent by the definition we just saw where it results in a total change, a, a fundamental change and surrender to God. I understand why it can be difficult for people to really make that decision to repent and come to Christ. You see, it's easy, and I'm going to step on some toes here, and there might be some people mad at me, but it's easy to feel safe in just saying a prayer and feeling like I've done the bare minimum and God loves me so much, it's okay if I go back and live the way that I was living before. That is not what the Bible teaches us. That is not what Christ teaches us in the Gospels. He calls us to repentance, which is a total abandonment of your sin and a total surrender to him. And so repentance is not the first step for a new believer. It's for all of us every day to examine ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit, search me, oh God. Find any way that grieves you and lead me into the way of everlasting life. Search me, God. Find the wicked thoughts. Find the jealousy and pride. Find the things that grieve you about my life. Show them to me. Help me leave them behind so that I can walk your way. And I know why it's difficult because to truly repent the way I'm talking about and to truly repent the way the Bible talks about means that you might have to go through some pain. It means you might have to go through some pain. Houston, League City, it might be uncomfortable for you. It might hurt you at first because you might realize you need to change your living situation. And that's a painful process that you need to go through. You might realize that you need to change your financial situation and your spending habits. You might realize that you have developed some preferences and some habits and some things that are controlling your lifestyle. And if you're going to change those things, it's going to hurt at first. You're going to have some pain with your repentance. But if that pain means that I am aligning my life with the will of God, the God that created the universe and the God that has the best life I could ever live, I will gladly endure the pain I will take up my cross and I will follow after him you have to be ruthless with your sin you cannot leave it creeping around in your life you cannot leave sin creeping in your life you cannot just let it be and say I've got it under control this one area of my life I've got it under control I can handle it just give me a few years. I can figure it out. That's not repentance because what you're not doing is surrendering to Jesus Christ. Jesus does not just want to be our friend. Jesus is not your homeboy. He is king. He is king. He is Lord. You know what happens in a kingdom? When the king says, follow me, you follow him. You abandon everything else and you follow him. And we serve a good king and we serve a righteous king and we serve a loving king and he's calling us to follow him and to leave those things because he knows that is what is best for us. It's a surrender. A surrender of what? What is he asking? What are we supposed to surrender? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. That's what God wants. So we have to be ruthless with sin. Where have you left sin creeping and lurking in your life? What are the areas? What are the habits? What are the secrets? 
What are the things that you're still holding on to saying, I can figure this out myself. I'm not gonna tell anybody. I'm not gonna confess about it. I'm not even gonna surrender it to God and determine to live his way. I'm just gonna hold on to it. Can you be ruthless with those things? Can you be violent with those things? Can you be aggressive with those things so that you can uproot them from your life, leave them where they are and follow after God? Because if you are apathetic, If you are apathetic about the sin that is in your life, you will stay dead asleep. If you are aware of sin in your life and you decide not to do anything about it, you'll be dead asleep. If you are indifferent about God's way of living and you prefer your own way of living, you're dead asleep to awaken to the full life that God has for us, it always begins with repentance. This was the message that Jesus started his ministry with and he never stopped preaching it. Jesus, everywhere he went, you know what message he preached to people? Repent. Let's read it. Mark chapter one, verse 15. This is Jesus. The first Message. This is his first moment where he's stepping into ministry. This is what Jesus said. The time promised by God has come at last. What a joyous occasion. This promise from God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. How incredible for people to hear that God would bring his kingdom near to you and I. That God would bring his way of living close to us so that we could step into it And what does Jesus say? How do we get into this kingdom? Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Listen, repentance from sin, don't have the idea that that means you have to leave the fun. Don't have the idea that that means you have to follow some kind of strict rules and you gotta gotta act a certain way and talk a certain way. No, God is giving us an opportunity to step into his kingdom. What better news is there that the kingdom of God has come near to you and I? And Jesus says, repent of your sins and believe God's way of living is now available for everyone. It's available for you and I. How do we enter into that kingdom? We repent. And don't fool yourselves, we all need to repent. It's so common in our postmodern America the idea of having our own truth and the idea of as long as I'm a good person that is contrary to everything the Bible says, that there is an absolute truth and at our core we are wicked. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And we all need to repent because the world is full of sin and if we don't live a lifestyle of repentance, we're just gonna keep drifting towards sin and it's a problem for all of us. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 1, he says, if we say we have no sin, we're lying. If you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. If you say you have no sin, you're asleep. He says the truth is not in you if you think you have no sin. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he says, everyone has sin. Don't deceive yourselves. 
Don't deceive yourself into thinking, well, I know I'm a good person, and yeah, my life might not align with what God's word says, but, but surely I get some bonus points because I'm a good person. The apostle John, who walked with Jesus, who was Jesus' best friend, said, if you think you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. Then two chapters later, John says something that seems to contradict himself. Oh, here we go. See that Bible full of contradictions. That Bible doesn't know what it's saying. It's so inconsistent because John here in chapter 3 says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Well, hold on, John. You just said that everybody's a sinner. But now you're telling us that if we abide in Christ, that we're not going to keep on sinning? He says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Hey, for those of you that, are keep, that keep on sinning, guess what? You don't even know who Christ is. And I'm, you just scratch your head like, John, you just... Listen to what he's saying here. Listen to the difference here. We all sin. It does not matter if you walk with Christ for 60 years and 70 years and you fast every week. If you are the most righteous person in Christianity, you are going to fall into sin. What's the difference here? In chapter 3, he says if, if we are in Christ, we don't continue in sin. That, mean if, that means if you are in Christ and you sin, and you recognize the sin in your life, if you are in Christ, you don't continue in that sin. That's where the difficult things happen. That's where the pain happens, because that's where you have to make the decision. I've sinned, but I'm in Christ, so am I going to stop doing this thing? Or am I going to continue doing this thing and betray my king and grieve his heart? John says, if that's your attitude where you continue in your sin and you know it's a sin and you know it's something that grieves God, that you are not in him. But you see the problem about sin, that a lot of us, we can trick ourselves and we can think the problem with sin is just my behavior. The problem with sin, my sin, is the actions, it's words I'm speaking, it's, it's that habit that I keep doing, it's that substance that I keep abusing, it's that relationship I keep going back to, it's that thing I keep doing, and that's just the manifestation of the problem. That's not the problem for you and I. You see, sin is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And so, we can fool ourselves into thinking well, if I just improve my behavior, if I just get some behavior modification, if I just work in some willpower and discipline, then I'll stop sinning. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Your heart doesn't want to surrender. Your heart does not want to surrender to God. Your heart doesn't want to surrender your relationships to God, your preferences to God, your pride, the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh. Your heart wants to hold on to those things. And it will deceive you into thinking you can have some workarounds. Hey, we don't really have to surrender as long as we modify this behavior. And hey, we don't, we don't really have to surrender if we can just act the part and look the part. And everybody's going to think that we're okay. But we don't really have to surrender our heart to God. If the root of the problem is our hearts, what is the condition of your heart? How much of your heart have you surrendered to God? Ask yourself, 
How much room is there for Christ in your heart? What are the areas that you are still holding on to control where you have not surrendered to Christ? You see, the thing about sin being a heart issue is that your heart issues, our heart issues, they do not stay small. Heart issues never stay small. That's why people fool themselves into thinking, I've got it under control. I can live this way for a little while, and then eventually I'll fix it. I can do these things for a little while, but sometime in the future, I've got a plan. In the future, we're gonna, I'm going to fix it, and it's going to be okay. You see, your heart problems don't stay small. They get big and ugly. And that heart problem that you have right now that you're not surrendering to God, it might take 30 years before it ruins all your relationships. It might take 40 years before your marriage falls apart. It might take five years until you find yourself in a spiral of addiction and brokenness and despair. And it comes from this idea that I've got things under control. You see, the behavior modification part, we fool ourselves into thinking if I just act a certain way and discipline myself a certain way, things will be fine. That is not surrendering the true root of the issue. Let's look at Mark 7. This is Jesus speaking, verses 21 through 23. Christ said that from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Those thoughts that you keep thinking, it's coming from your heart. The sexual immorality, the theft, the murder, the adultery, the coveting, the wickedness, the deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. These are not bad behaviors they are coming from within a person's heart and that is what defiles you and that's the thing that Christ is asking you to surrender to him this is why we have to be violent violent against sin to uproot those things from our heart You have to be aggressive with them. You have to be proactive with them. You have to repent and turn away and then set boundaries for yourself. And then get some accountability in your life of people that are following Christ as well that can speak into your life and tell you where you may be going out of bounds. You need to be violently aggressive with your sin to the point that you are destroying the access points that's giving it access to your heart. What are the avenues right now that sin just has an open highway into your heart? Destroy it. Be violently aggressive with sin in your life. Now, I open this message by telling you why do we exist as a church? Because we want to help you discover and live this life that God has for you. And one of the ways that you can do what I was just talking about, where you can be aggressive with sin and where you can get some accountability and where you can start setting some boundaries is by joining one of our life groups. If you've been around Life Church for a while, you know we've called them small groups in the past, but we're rallying everything we do around the life that God has for us. So this semester, this month, you have an opportunity to join a life group. What is a life group? It's an opportunity here at Life Church where you can join with a group of people that are going the same direction as you. Where you can just join with people in our church. And it's a place where you can make some healthy relationships and friendships. A place where you can take your mask off and say, this is what I'm dealing with. 
This is what I'm going through. I need help. You know what James chapter 5, verse 16 says? That if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, we will be healed. That's a promise from the word of God that if we will find a place where we can say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I keep falling into. Will you pray with me? You will find healing in that kind of approach to your sin. But if you keep covering it up and you keep guarding your heart for yourself, if you want to be the Lord of your heart, that healing won't take place. So you can join a life group. That is a pivotal step for you as a believer is to get in a group with fellow believers. Starting next week, you'll have the opportunity to sign up for life groups. Starting next week, August 14th, you will have the opportunity to go online and find a group that's right for you. And then August 22nd, you can sign up. If you missed the 14th, you can sign up on the 22nd. And then that next Monday, we're starting our groups for 12 weeks. Listen, you don't have to join it for life. Don't be intimidated by it thinking, oh, great, I'm going to join this group. And the first time you go, you, you think all the people are weird and it's just not a fit for you. Join like three groups. Find the one that you really connect with and stick with that group. It's for 12 weeks. So you can do it for 12 weeks and then we'll give you another opportunity after a little break to start another semester and you can stay with that group or you can join a different group. The point is what you need in your life is relationships with the right people because if you keep hanging in the same circles and you keep hanging with the same people that are doing the same things, you're never going to leave that lifestyle. Another way where you can develop where you can develop that, that repentant lifestyle is just by adopting the heart of Jesus, following after our king, following the example that he set. Well, what is the example that Christ gave us? To be a servant. When you make your life more about others than yourself, you're gonna go a whole lot farther. You're gonna be able to follow Christ a whole lot easier because guess what? Christ was all about others. And this month, on August the 28th, if you're not writing these dates down, I, I hope you will. August 28th, at every campus, we're launching something new. At the Houston campus, Friendswood campus, League City campus, the last Sunday of every month, what we're going to do now is something that we call Discover Life. Discover Life. It's a one-time event. It's not a class. It's really just you coming in and hanging out with us, eating some good food, meeting the team, and hearing more about this life that God has for us. And hearing more about what it means to serve. And at that event, Discover Life, on August 28th, after service at each campus, that's where you have the opportunity to start serving. That's where you have the opportunity to step into God's church and say, I'm going to do my part. And I promise you that will help you develop spiritually. Almost like nothing else in your life when you just develop that attitude of I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm going to put other people first. I'm going to put others before myself. That's where you will get in tune with the heart of God. You see, the, the, world, the world offers death. Everything in the world, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those things lead to death. But Jesus offers life. Not just ordinary, boring, mediocre life. My goodness, how many people have this concept of Christianity that it's just dull and boring? And why? Because there might be believers still asleep, not showing them the abundant life that Christ really intended for you and I. The world offers death, but Jesus offers life. 
not playing life. John 10, 10, he says, the thief, everything in the world will steal, kill, and destroy you, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, more and better than you can ever imagine. And so repent and follow me. This is what the world offers. You're wondering. And if you, if you read the Bible again and again, if you're wondering, well, how do I identify something that's sin? Well, number one is the Holy Spirit will guide you and convict you. And when the Spirit of God is in you, it will help you identify areas of your life that are grieving God. But over and over again, the Bible shows us and tells us explicitly what a sinful lifestyle looks like. Galatians chapter 5 says when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your sinful heart, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Doesn't this sound like the world today? Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. The list is exhaustive. Paul writes to the church, In Galatia, let me tell you this again, as I have before, that if you are living that sort of life, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That kingdom that Christ began his ministry with telling people, it's near to you. God's way of living is accessible to you. God's kingdom is open to you. Repent and believe the good news. And if you don't repent, Paul says here, you're not going to inherit that kingdom. Those things, following our sinful nature, following the desires of our heart, it leads to death. It leads to broken relationships and messed up finances and it leads to shame and despair and depression and anxiety and fear and anger and jealousy. It leads to a destroyed life. But the abundant life that Christ offers is love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says there's no, there's no law against these things. Meaning, there's not a law you have to follow with how much you have to love to please God. It's not, it's not a set of rules that you have to follow to be good, and faithful, and gentle. It's something that happens on the inside of you. Let me explain. This is what repentance is. First of all, it's just recognition of your sin. It's you just understanding and, and realizing There are things in my life that are grieving God. Recognize that. It's also confessing those things. It's also confessing those things to God and it helps a lot if you will confess them to someone else. Joseph, come on and help me. It's turning away from sin. Now listen, it's not one or two of these things. It's recognizing your sin. It's confessing your sin and it's turning away from your sin. And it's not complete until we get to this last part of surrender to Christ. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't don't think the way the world thinks. Don't live the way the world lives. Don't talk the way the world lives. Don't accept the things that the world says are acceptable. Don't believe in the ideas and the ideologies and the philosophies that are coming from the world that are telling you what is and is not an acceptable way of living. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
So that when you renew your mind, when your mind is renewed, you can test and discern what is the will of God. When your mind is renewed, you can test and discern everything in your life and everything that the world may offer. And you'll be able to say, that's a lie. That's a trap. I'm not going to fall into this. You will know what the will of God is, his good, acceptable, perfect will. Here's what I want to say from that scripture, that if you will change your mind, Houston, if you will change your mind, God will change your heart. Because that's the root of the problem, isn't it? That's, that's the root of your problem, is, is what's going on in your heart. But if you will just change your mind and say, I know I've been doing this, these things, and I know I've been thinking this way, and I know I've been living this lifestyle, and I, I know that I have been making decisions for myself without regard for what God wants in my life. If you will change your mind about those things, meaning think a different way, change the way you think about them, turn away from them, if you will do that, God will do the hard part for you. God will do the hard part for you, and that's change your heart. You're not going to be doing this alone. You see, when you make up your mind to repent and you recognize sin and you confess sin and you say, I'm going to leave sin and I'm going to surrender to God, he does the hard part. He changes your heart. He changes you from the inside out. This is what God wants. Jeremiah 24 and 7, God says, I will give them a heart to know I am the Lord. And they shall be my people. I will be their God. And they shall return to me with a whole heart. God wants your heart. And when you surrender to him, he changes you from the inside out, a complete fundamental change. What does that look like? It means you are a new creation. It means the person that you used to be is no longer awake. You are dead to that person. You are a new creator. You're not improved in Christ. You're not a behavior modified person in Christ. You're a new creation. That means as God changes your heart, your desires change. God will put inside of you his desires. God will put inside of you his ways. And and it won't feel like a duty. It won't feel like an obligation. It it won't feel like a set of rules that I got to follow these commandments and I've got to live this certain way. No, it's a delight because God is changing you. He's transforming you. He's putting inside of you a heart that delights in following after him. And that's how we can start navigating things. It's, it's, we understand and we can recognize the things in our lives that are grieving God. And because God is changing us, we say, oh God, I don't want to live that way. I, I can't believe I used to do those things. I, I can't believe I used to find some kind of satisfaction in those things. Oh, how good it is to follow you, God. How sweet it is to follow you. I delight in following your ways. I feel fulfilled in following your ways. Oh God, thank you for allowing me to follow you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to step into your kingdom. Thank you for changing me from the inside out where I no longer even want to do the things I used to do. But now I'm just following after you.
Jesus tells a story that shows the heart of God for us. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and it's, it's an amazing chapter. But Jesus tells a story of a father, and this father has two sons. The younger son, he comes to his father, and he says, Father, and the father is a wealthy man. He has land, and he, he has money. And the son knows an inheritance is coming to him. Usually that inheritance comes to the son once the father is dead. So the son is literally going to his father and says, hey, it would be better for me if you were already dead. But since you're still alive, just give me my inheritance. I don't want anything to do with you. I want you to give me what's mine and I'm, I'm going to live my own way. And so this father, this loving father, he gives the son what he wants. And the Bible says, Jesus tells the story, the son goes to a faraway place. The son goes to a place where he's living his own way. The son goes to a place where he's fulfilling all of his desires and he, he totally abandons the life that his father wanted for him. And then a famine comes into the land that this son is in. And there's no food and he loses all his money and he loses all his friends and he's working in someone else's field like a slave and he's in the mud and he's in the filth and he's in the slop with pigs and he's eating the food that the pigs are eating. And Jesus says in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, when the son finally came to his senses, he said, even at home, the hired servants have food. My father is so good that even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. Here I am at my lowest point. Here I am at rock bottom, full of despair and hopelessness, not knowing where to turn. And even the servants at my father's house have it better than me. I'm going to go home, the son says. I'm going to go home to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm not even worthy of being your son. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to, I'm going to beg and plead. Maybe he'll take me on as a servant. But I know that after everything that I've done and after everything that I have wasted and after turning my back on him, I know that I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. And so he decided to return home to his father. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. You know what that tells me? Is that every day the father was probably pacing and walking and watching and looking down that road. Where's my son? Where is my son? Wish that my son would come back to me. I can't wait for the day where my son returns to me. It says the father sees him while he's still a long way off and he runs. Filled with love, filled with compassion, he runs to his son. He embraces him, he kisses him and his son goes into his prepared speech about how terrible he is. He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Have you ever felt like that where you just feel like you, you've done too much and, and, and you don't even deserve God's love. You don't even deserve God's mercy. You don't deserve his forgiveness. It keeps you at a distance from God because here's the heart of the father. The son is trying to tell him, I'm such a sinner, I don't even deserve to be your son. And the father just ignores it. 
He says to his servants, quick, bring me the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Get sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We have to celebrate because this son of mine, this son, my son, he was dead, but now he has returned to life. He was lost, but, but now he's found. And the father throws a party. Welcomes the son right back into his rightful place. You know what the father is waiting for? For you to just be looking in his direction. You don't have to figure it all out at once. You don't have to figure everything out. You're never going to live a perfect lifestyle. You're always going to make mistakes. But as long as you are going in the direction of the father. As long as you have that repentant heart that you start looking at things and saying, oh, I hate this in my life because it's keeping me from my father. It's keeping me from the things that he wants for me. It's keeping me from the blessings that he has for me. It's keeping me from the power that he wants me to walk in. It's keeping me from living the life that he has for me. Would you please stand with me here? Every campus, please stand with me. what I'm asking here Friendswood, Houston every campus if the uh, prayer team would take your place it's going to look a little different this week so Houston I just want you to be aware prayer team is going to be taking different positions than they normally do here in Friendswood our prayer team is in the back of the room they're, they're there everybody turn around real quick I want the prayer team lift your hands that's our prayer team right there Michaela, Gabe Amber, Eric, that's our prayer team. At Houston, they should be at the, at the sides of the auditorium there by your aisles. Because this is what today is about. It's about repentance. All of us need to repent. And so whenever I close with prayer like I'm about to, you are invited here at Friendswood, at Houston, League City, every location. This altar is open. These are sacred moments. These are sacred moments. Don't take these opportunities for granted. Don't be uncomfortable in them. Don't be wondering why we have to do weird stuff at church that makes you uncomfortable or, or anything like that. This is a sacred moment because it's in these moments after we've been in the presence of God and we have heard his word that we can respond. That we can respond. Repentance is action. Repentance is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Today we have that opportunity. And I'm asking for every campus, every person, let's take our time. I'm not in a rush. We're not in a rush. Every altar area is going to be open for your families to come together. Let's spend time in the presence of God. If you need prayer, that's why our prayer team is here. Friends with back of the room at Houston, you'll find them at the ends of the aisles. Find a prayer team partner to partner with. And maybe you need to confess something. There is power in your confession. You can, you can rest assured, every member of our prayer team has been trained. They are vetted, and we have full confidence in them as a church. They are ministers on our team. You can believe in them and trust them to confess. And they will partner with you in prayer. Will you stay with me in this moment? Find those things. Bring those things to the surface. What do you need to uproot? What do you need to uproot? What do you need to just pull out of your heart and say, God, I'm sorry for holding on to this, but I want you to have it because I know you're gonna do better with it than I could. 
You're going to treat my heart better than I could. You're going you're to lead me to a better life that I could ever imagine. So I'm uprooting these things and I'm, I'm laying it before you. So I'm going to pray at every campus. And as soon as I say amen, Houston, the worship team is going to take it. As soon as I say amen, League City, same thing. And here at Friendswood, our team's going to take it. And this altar is open for you to respond. Our prayer team is ready for you to receive prayer. Let me pray for you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you came with the message that your kingdom is near. We thank you that you came with this message that God's way of living is accessible to us. We, we thank you that you, you loved us so much. You, you came to call us to follow you. Because you love us so much, you have a better life for us and you're giving us that opportunity. I pray that in this moment, for every person at every campus that might be heavy with shame, that might be heavy with pain, that might be full of despair and brokenness, and maybe they're in a hopeless situation. Maybe they feel like they don't know where to turn. Maybe their life is a mess and they don't know what to do. I pray that in this moment that they would begin to feel your peace the peace that comes from knowing that they have a loving father, that the creator of the universe cares about what's going on in their lives and he wants to make it better, that he wants to come into their hopeless situation and give them hope like they've never felt before, that he wants to come into their despair and give them joy like they've never felt before, that he wants to come in and lead us to the best life we could ever live. Help us see that, Lord. I pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you would just flood our auditoriums, that you would just invade the hearts and minds of our people, that you would have your way, that you would wrestle with the darkness within us and lead us towards the light, God, that you would be there to remind us how much you love us, and it doesn't matter how far away we are, it doesn't matter what we've done, that you're still watching, and you're still waiting, and you're still pacing like the loving Father, waiting for us to turn to you, and you're ready to just run to us help us see that give us boldness in this moment that's what we need you are the one that calls us to repentance it's not something that we can do on our own it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of your love and your mercy that we are even able to step into the life you have for us it's only because you enable us to repent that we are able to do it so any kind of anxiety or fear around this moment I pray that instead would be replaced with confidence and boldness in the minds of every person that is hearing my words that they would have boldness and confidence to step into the life that you have for them help us be awake oh God because there is a world full of people that need you we need you and the world needs you help us to be awake and to see what you are doing we don't want to be asleep God we don't want to be asleep while you are working in the world we don't want to miss out on what you're doing in our communities we don't want to miss out on what you're doing in Friendswood and in Houston and in League City and wherever else you call us to go we want to be awake to hear the call we don't want to be asleep through the wake-up call God we don't want to be sleepwalking spiritually God we don't want to be stuck in a rut stuck in a routine we want to be fully awake in the life that you have for us so that as your people we can make a difference in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.